Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the greatest generation, Voyager. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm one of those guys, Ben Harrison, coming to you live from our Twitch stream. I'm Adam Pranica. <laughs> Not live. Adam Pranica is dead. You do have kind of a goth aesthetic going right now with the long black hair and the black t-shirt and the black microphone and the black headphones. Yeah. You kind of got summer goth. I do, realness. don't I? That is the look. <laughs> yeah. Emo Trent Reznor. <laughs> I love it. That's how I'm looking. We're like T minus two weeks from the big haircut too. Yeah, we are. I might not end up getting it though. Also, <laughs> we've got oh. we've got a lot of shit to do that week, and I don't know if I can keep keep the res for that. <laughs> given all that um, we have to do for the end of Max Fun Drive, my uh, my haircut, my first haircut in fifteen months, was going to happen on the very last day of Max Fun Drive, and now I think we might have too much to do. Yeah, that's true. As of this recording, the Max Fun Drive has not happened yet, but when this comes out, of course, it will have happened. That's right. So I think we should probably pause to say thank you so much to everyone who contributed. I'm sure some people did. I'm sure some people did. <laughs> it's not wishful thinking to, to no, do this not. right now. We're going to have a great I, drive. We. I think some people will contribute. I hope many. Yeah. I want to I want to transition us though, Adam, because we're about to open some mail, and uh, you are the person that is going to be doing the opening this time. We we met up in a neutral parking lot location, equidistant from our two homes in L.A. I set all of the packages down in the middle of the tarmac and backed away, and then you approached the packages and picked them up. We did it all socially distanced and proper, the right way. Yeah. Yeah, it felt good. We we chose an equidistant taco stand parking lot as we do. <laughs> a different one every time in case we're tailed. Right. Yeah. We don't wanna <laughs> we don't want the man to get on to this situation. Right. Uh do you wanna start opening some presents, Adam? Yeah, can I do that now, Ben? Please. I would love nothing less. Well the very first thing I need to do is put some people on blast. Mm-hmm. I opened this last time on the show. This Oh yeah. This Federation, the first 150 years book and battery operated cradle. This was <laughs> sent by Dan and Liana. And and part of their yeah. message was we don't want this in our home anymore. <laughs> it frightens us. You deal with it. <laughs> you deal with it. And so I was so innocent. I put the batteries in this thing, and I played it on, on one of our last Twitch shows. It was fun. George Takei reads this book. George Takei? But what I hadn't planned on was later on that evening, very late at night, <laughs> George Takei <laughs> decided to continue reading to me at a, at a time not of my choosing. And... It was very loud. Sorry to haunt you so effectively. Adam, get up. I have more things to tell you about Tellarites. <laughs> Please wake up. <laughs> I have some information <laughs> that you need immediately. 
<laughs> so what I did is I, uh, in my sleepy stupor, I unscrewed the battery lid and I took out those batteries and I threw them far away uh, wow. so that I would not have a George Takei wake up call ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so uh thanks dan and liana for for giving me their curse <laughs> this is like the lowest stakes japanese horror film of all time <laughs> yeah well i mean the thing i didn't tell you is that like as soon as george decay started reading to me he was like now you have wet hair <laughs> and sure enough i did wow <laughs> and you were crawling out of a well and then through the television screen i know that was very scary. All right, Ben, I've got uh, I've got three more things left. I call them things because not all of them are packages. Like this letter, I'm going to try not to show the address of <laughs> Bernie in Essex, Ontario, Canada. Sent this okay. to Jim Shimoda. I'm going to give this letter the business. You didn't bring a letter opener. <laughs> no, I didn't. All right. Whoa, this one's got cash money inside. Whoa. Uh, looks like a million Spock bucks. Oh, wow. Isn't there like a, there's a bill in Canada that people always draw Spock on? Isn't that true? I mean, I think it's this one. Yeah. <laughs> the, the famous million dollar bill of Canada. I also, I also got a Starship license. Hey. Uh, which feels very official. It's not my <laughs> Starship license. Oh, I love that it has the the room font across the top there. <laughs> I did not cheat on my driving test. I did not. I did parallel park. I did. <laughs> five nine. Oh, hi park. Five nine one seventy for for Jim Kirk. Wow. All right. <laughs> Do you uh, think that he gets that revoked after the events of Star Trek Three? No, probably. No, because then when Star Trek Four happens, he saves the day. They're probably like, all is forgiven for Star Trek Three. Oh, yeah. We're, we're in a very forgiving mood. Very magnanimous. All right. <laughs> Let's see what Bernie has to say. To whoever opens the mail, Ben and Adam, I paid a lot of latinum for this Spock coin note. <laughs> I thought it would be better off with the Jim Shimoda Corporation. Yeah, absolutely. This... One million Spock coin note is probably worth less now. Maybe you could pass it off to an unsuspecting Ferengi. P.S. You can also have my Starship license, too. I am retired and no longer can go where no man has gone before. <laughs> Don't get caught drunk Shimoda driving, though. Yeah, fair enough. Yeti at large, a.k.a. Bernie, last name redacted, Essex, Ontario, Canada. I love it. Thank you, Bernie. Thanks a ton, Bernie. Bernie's retired now. Good for yeah. him. Does, is Spotcoin a, a cryptocurrency? Is that what I am to understand here? I thought cryptocurrencies weren't uh, weren't tangible like this. Yeah. But um, yeah. I had a friend who had like a physical Bitcoin though, and he sold it for like a thousand bucks and I'm sure regrets it. I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of regrets about Bitcoin. Yeah. I also knew a guy that tried to start a Bitcoin arbitrage scheme and lost like $50,000. So Was that the video project we worked on up in uh, Vancouver where we there went to the Bitcoin that, hive? We did go to a Bitcoin hive that one time and, and we were traveling uh, with the guy, uh, but I don't think he had lost the money yet. 
when we went to that Bitcoin high. Yeah, that would have been less of a good time if he had lost the money before. <laughs> yeah, it would have been like us there while he like raged around looking for his Bitcoins. Yeah. Yeah, that's no good. No good at all. All right. I'm using my hobby X-Acto knife to cut up, open this box. This box sent from Lincoln Park, New Jersey. All right. Uh, one name on it, Lancaster. Okay. Wow. All right, we got a little card. I'm going to start with that. Hi, boys. Enclosed is a vintage Hallmark keepsake that was given to me by a friend. Wow. Since I already had one, I thought y'all would be best to send it to. I'll let your wives be the deciders of who gets to keep it. <laughs> LLAP, the STTC unicorn. Leaving our wives to decide something like that is basically guaranteeing that your gift gets thrown away, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. All right. Any guesses? Oh, man. On, it's on a, it's which... a Hallmark keepsake? Yeah. So, so I'm thinking it's got to be a, a, a Christmas tree ornament, right? Isn't that? Right. I'm guessing... Deal? I'm guessing just based on the shape, I'm guessing transporter room. Boy, that would be that'd be a lot to put in this little box. Well, they're miniatures. They don't put a full size transporter. I'm thinking room it's gotta be a ship. What's in the box? Oh, it's the Shuttlecraft Galileo. I remember hey, this one. That's an OG. You hit the button and Mr. Spock tells you all about the miracle of Christmas. <laughs> it's great. The, the lights dim, the spotlight falls on Mr. Spock, mm -hmm. and he tells you the true meaning of it. It's great. Wow. You would think a Vulcan wouldn't give a shit about that, but here we are. Oh, I mean, he, Spock's been fighting the war on Christmas for years. <laughs> Happy holidays, Captain. <laughs> Spock here. Happy holidays. All right. Last one, biggest one is right here. Oh, man. This one's kind of a chonker, you guys. This one is, is from Jeffrey from Somerville, Somerville, <laughs> Mass. Hopefully I'm not showing any of this address. We should mention every time we open gifts on here, the Bill Tilly rule applies as yes. a discouragement for anyone who wants to send us bad things. If somebody sends us something gross, we automatically forwarded it on to Bill, one of the nicest guys in the entire world. So yeah. Someone you would know, never want to send a bad thing to. One of the greats. If you think you're dunking on us, you're actually dunking on somebody that doesn't deserve it. All right. I got a box of parts here, and I think I should just read the letter. <laughs> Before you get into the letter, Adam, I just want to call out Sean Connery 94 in the chat who had some mushrooms earlier and is thankful for the chill hangs. Hey, Sean Connery, 94, welcome. It's going to be all right. You're Did among you friends. Did you have those mushrooms shaken or stirred? <laughs> Tell you what you shouldn't do on mushrooms. Try to fuck the prom queen. <laughs> Letter goes like this. Ben and Adam, hey, guys. One drunk night in Boston, we took a picture, and I promised you guys a gift. Enclosed is said gift. Awesome. 0.75 COVIDs later, printed off the 3D <laughs> printer I have been holding hostage from my office for the last year and unassembled as a project for you. Wow. This is the story of that night and its outcome. 
<laughs> Four score and 700 years ago, there was a before time. Some time before that, there was a slightly tipsy Greatest Gen Con 2 Star Trek 3 Boston show. This is a tale of the end of that night for those who may have been otherwise occupied with wine. Mm. It's, it's sort of in script form. Yeah. I'm going to set the scene. Jeff gets to the front of the goodbye line, chats with Ben. <laughs> Jeff, completely sober. So I want mm. to send you guys a phaser rifle. Ben, completely sober. Huh? Jeff, <laughs> no, really. Look at my phone. I 3D printed it at work. I can print you guys one. Ben, Adam. Adam, also sober. Ben, Ben, <laughs> no. Look, we are getting this. Massive passage of time. <laughs> New scene. Jeff is now season two Riker. It's April 2020. Wow. Jeff. Huh, I got to take home one of the really expensive printers. I should print off that phaser rifle. Time passes again. New scene, mm. season five Riker, September 2020. Jeff, wow, we have updated the firmware. I can print that phaser rifle in half the time. More time passes. <laughs> Jeff, fuck it. I'm finally going to print it. Two days later, Jeff, that was easy. Better write a letter and ship it. <laughs> time passes again. Package arrives. Adam opens it. Shoots the nip of a distilled 2020 Malort. <laughs> the end. Wow. From your friend of DeSoto, Jeff. Jeff apologizes for the typo-ridden personal letter, but <laughs> he paid for a couple of Priority One messages about various wedding events. So, uh, so Jeff is a supporter in a number of ways. And he's also sent assembly pictures of how to put this phaser rifle together because we have got a phaser rifle Ben. oh my god i gave you the wrong packages (laughs) look at all these phaser rifle pieces wow i can't believe how many pieces there are there's so many pieces i can't even hold them all and look at this ripped piece after we're done recording the Marin, I think we'll spend some of the Twitch stream with you just putting phaser rifle together because that's all I want to watch right now. <laughs> Jeff also included two of the worst gifts we've ever received. <laughs> oh, some mini bottles of Malort. Wow. I did not know that they had Malort on airplanes, but based on the format of those bottles, apparently they have, uh, the next they time serve Malort I'm on able spirit. To- I'm almost positive. <laughs> That's the only kind of alcohol yeah. you can get. You say, can I have a margarita? And they pour Malort and Sprite into a little plastic cup for you. It's the only beverage they have of any kind on Spirit. <laughs> $5. That'll be $5. Wow. Well, thanks, everyone, for those great gifts. A real basket of surprises, I'd say. I love it. You know, sometimes we open up the gift pile and it's like all baseball cards. That's true. Could not have predicted this selection of gifts. That was really something. I can't wait to see that phaser rifle in person, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think you should should put it up in the back window of your vehicle in a a rack. (laughs) I don't have a phaser rifle, much less many, thus necessitating (laughs) a rack. (laughs) Uh, But Adam, do you want to get into the episode we came to talk about today? Sure do. What is it, Ben? Season one, episode 14, Jutrell. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. 
Neelix is in Sandrine's bar in the south of France, teaching Tuvok how to lose at pool. Neelix should be back in the kitchen learning how to cook. <laughs> and, and like Tom Paris should be making him work back there. <laughs> yeah. Why did they make Tom Paris learn like medical stuff from the doctor? He should have been just like tasked with supervising the kitchen and making Neelix know how to cook things that don't taste like ass. How valuable would that be? (laughs) Everyone should be preoccupied with this. Every time anyone runs into Neelix in public, they should be like, why aren't you trying to be a better cook right now? I thought you were the morale officer. The morale could not be lower. And it's mostly about the food. We've gotten over the whole never going to see our families thing. No one's got time for pool right now. (laughs) Uh, very funny bit where Tuvok, uh, calls his shot and scratches. Uh, this is kind of just a reenactment of every time I've ever played pool. Hey, much in the same way people argue that, uh, Han shot first. Mm -hmm. Here's a new t-shirt idea. Neelix scratched first. How are they playing pool without a table scratch rule here, man? (laughs) Neelix is playing defense by like, playing bumper pool and he never he never hits any of the balls well i guess we don't know what the house rules in sandrine's are but i uh it's it would seem that table scratching is back on the menu boys etc i don't like it i don't like it at all but i totally get why it would be this way if you're shooting shooting pool yeah like yeah. It's got to be crazy making production wise. Like as soon as as soon as Tuvok lined up his shot after saying what he was gonna do, I was like, this is gonna be an effect, right? <laughs> <laughs> the continuity person, when this script lands on their desk and they open it and it's page one in pool hall. Right. They're right, like, right. Fuck! Fuck! Not again! Come on! <laughs> hey, I'm thinking uh strike. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, did you guys consider maybe having their holodeck hang be a bowling alley ever? Right. <laughs> yeah, fuck it, dude. Let's go bowling. Uh, you can tell this is going to be a very special episode when Captain Janeway calls Neelix to the bridge. Neelix uh, A place to the that bridge. they're usually trying to repel him from. Yeah. It's not Neelix to the bridge and bring canapes. Are those Valerian canapes? Admiral the champ. Well, the canapes in my ass. That's the rich crack of his chopped liver. <laughs> it's just Neelix to the bridge. Right. <laughs> Aren't you forgetting something, Neelix? Yeah. So uh, what they've got is a Hakonian shuttle inbound, and uh, it is carrying a passenger that has specifically requested to speak to Neelix. Saconian shuttle is kind of like a Mazda Miata starship. Kind of looks like a like an economically priced sports car. The Hakonian name sounds so close to Harkonian that <laughs> I really couldn't jar it loose. Yeah. Well, and this guy's loaf is ruddy enough that you could mistake it for boils. So beautiful, my baron. It's just a single letter that changes the meaning altogether. This guy on this ship has got an urgent message to relay. He needs to talk to Neelix. Yeah. It's it's like that thing that remember in the day of landlines when you were a kid, 
I don't know if you were ever tasked with this, but I, I always picked up the phone. Like, I think my parents relished not having to pick up the phone themselves. I always <laughs> picked up the phone. And then I was like the, the secretary for the house. Rob, you have a landline? Hello? That's my phone. And how disappointing it was every time I'd pick up the phone and no one ever wanted to talk to me. No, it was never for you. Yeah. This you is that the mail. Moment. There's never mail for you. Janeway turns on the FaceTime. This guy doesn't want to talk to her. And and yeah. the worst part is he wants to talk to Neelix. Well, and what Neelix has explained is the Hakonians invaded the Talaxian homeworld 15 years ago. They, they, they were at war. This is uh, not exactly a species that he looks forward to having interactions with. And this, yeah, this dude doesn't just want to have an interaction with him. He, he's looking, looking for him. Yeah. It's interesting how contextually things are so muddy here up front. Neelix tells us that his people were at war with this person's people. And I'm thinking, oh man, the war's not over and Neelix is in danger. Like that's where my mind went. Yeah, it's interesting. When Neelix said we were at war with these people, I was like, oh, I can't wait to see what the people that were at (laughs) war with these freaks looks like. (laughs) And it's just a pretty like, it's a pretty standard just loafy, completely forgettable Star Trek alien, unfortunately. Like James Sloyan pressed his face into some potatoes au gratin. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what we got here. Yeah. And uh, Neelix is like, what's this about? And he's like, well, actually, there's a kind of a HIPAA issue. I can't tell you over an open FaceTime connection. So I'd really like to come on board and tell you in, in private. And then drops the J-bomb at him. He says who, who he is. He's Dr. Jatrell. He beams on board and he points to the upper right corner of the frame mm-hmm. <laughs> when the episode title <laughs> appears. It's a really fun breaking of the fourth wall. And you only yeah. get to do that if you're James Sloyan. Yeah. He's at the point of his career where he's only accepting parts where his character is the name of the episode. Yeah, right. <laughs> This is his, uh, his third Star Trek series for us. He's, He's so been great. On TNG, DS9, and now Voyager. And he was in the episode of Baywatch that we reviewed for our Max Fun Drive 2021 bonus episode. See, I, the count in my mind included the Baywatch episode. <laughs> I, I miscounted all of his Star Trek appearances, but you're right. Yeah. Well, between Dr. Mora and Dr. Jatrell. He definitely seems to be playing a lot of doctors who kind of put their work before their morals. <laughs> yeah. And uh, here on The Greatest Generation, we celebrate James Sloyan's entire catalog. Yeah. We just think very highly of his work. He's great. This episode does that super fun thing that you can only detect when you watch a lot of Star Trek, mm-hmm. which is when you've got 30 seconds to fill and don't have any options, you do that, who are you? Forgive me, my name is moment that we get here before the theme. <laughs> like exactly nothing happens in the last minute of this cold open except for that. <laughs> it's so funny because this is in some ways a very writerly episode. Yeah. Like Neelix goes on some fairly long rants in this episode that use a lot of like beautiful imagery and stuff. And they're like, wow, I didn't know Neelix had such like floral language when he spoke. And it's the same episode that does this. (laughs) How? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Especially because like, this is obviously a time filling technique. Yeah, Yeah. Like you could give Ethan Phillips another four lines of dialogue spread out 
throughout this episode and have accomplished what they did here in the cold open. I know. And and what they did there makes even less sense when you see the next scene where Neelix is explaining who Dr. Jutrell is to him. Yeah. Because Dr. Jutrell is kind of like a apex criminal in the war that his people fought with the Hakonians. Like he is on like a Gul Dukat level of there are hundreds of thousands of dead bodies blood on his hands and neelix basically considers him to be the person that caused it there was this thing that happened on neelix's homeworld, which was called rhinax that was called the metrion cascade it was a weapon of mass destruction that the hakonians unleashed on rhinax and like the effect was so devastating it killed basically everybody on the planet and the effect was so devastating that uh, Talax surrendered unconditionally right after that. It, it's, I, I think, compared very directly in this episode to the nuclear bombs that the United States dropped on Japan. This scene sets the tone for the entire episode, and that tone is Ethan Phillips is going to take over this one. Like, yeah. get out of the way, let Ethan Phillips run the show, and beginning here... And never letting up until the end of the episode, I'm like, we're going to talk about this at the end, I'm sure. But like the order of episodes in the first season, I've hated Neelix up until now. I know. And it's and it's made me think a certain way about Ethan Phillips, quite honestly. And to see him have this gear and this character have this, this gear made me lament the order that things happened in. My feelings for this character had started to calcify a bit, and now I don't know what to think. Neelix is often the comic relief. He is a jolly character by uh, anyone's measure. And in this scene, he explains that in a shocking war crime, his entire family was murdered in this war, and he carries incredible trauma with him. And if you knew that that was a component to the guy that's like spilling the soup in season one, episode four. Yeah. You would, you would be like, Oh, like he is not just a schlamazel. Like he has like, there's dimensionality to this character. Neelix was the only survivor of a genocide, (laughs) but he just can't stop burning the vegetables. (laughs) This season on Star Trek Voyager, we'll find out. (laughs) If his souffle will ever make him feel whole again. (laughs) That's what I'm saying, Ben. Like, how intentional do you think this season was about that? About, like, setting him up as the boob and then having the thing inside the boob be the pathos. This isn't a show in the mid-90s that's going like, oh, yeah, you're going to rewatch season one and then you're really going to understand, like... Right. The dimensionality of a Neelix here. You fucked right. up. You fucked up by judging him. Right. Yeah. I've, it's not it's not like uh it's not like the sixth sense where yeah. the second time you watch it, you're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. When he spilled the soup that time, you could really tell he was drawing on something deep. So when so when Neelix gave Tuvok that gross soup, that was just about Neelix struggling yeah. with what happened to him. You, you really get to understand why he likes Leola Root so much, because the bitterness is the only way he can feel anything. <laughs> so Jatrell beams aboard, 
And uh, what's great about Captain Janeway meeting him in the transporter room is that the very first thing she tells him is, Neelix isn't interested. He's washing his face hair. (laughs) It's funny, like, Jatrell is, like, complimenting them on their super cool transporter technology, and she's, like, does not pick up that conversation thread at all. She's just like, sorry, you're not going to be able to talk to Neelix, but me and Tuvok can show you to your quarters, because apparently... Dr. Jatrell is going to be staying with them for a few days. I really like Kate Mulgrew's performance as Janeway in this episode because she rides that line of having to be a good diplomat while at the same time understandably hating her guest for what this guest has done to someone she cares about. Yeah, the diplomat skills that she displays throughout this episode are really like cool and impressive and something I wish there was more of in television, you know, like so much of television is people like unloading their shit on each other. Yeah. And so much of real life is like knowing you have some shit you wish you could unload on this person, but you can't because of circumstances and having to cope with that fact. And yeah, this scene is full of tension. It's basically a scene about them hearing his request one more time to speak to Neelix and leading him to his quarters, but it's full of tension because of that. Right. Yeah. In the corridor, Jatrell tells Captain Janeway the warning he's there to deliver. Matremia yeah. is is what he believes Neelix might have. And it's a very, as you say, like a very post-nuclear bomb in Japan situation. Or like even an Agent Orange style right. story being told here. This idea that war making has had... Uh, Long-term yeah. consequences to the There are two. secondary downsides in addition to all the primary downsides. Can you believe it? Right, right. And he doesn't really like explain what his motivations are, but he's saying like there is a chance I can cure Matremia. For what purpose? But I need to like collect data from as many Talaxians as I can find that have it because it was only people that were exposed to the radiation in the aftermath of this blast and I want to fix this. And you may have a hard time believing this, Captain Janeway, but uh, many Talaxians hate me and won't let me near them. <laughs> we open in the galley on a close-up of uh, Neelix making some very nice-looking corn salsa. He's really taking it out on these vegetables, I think. Yeah. He's explaining to Kess. She's basically saying, like, why is this war being retconned into your character now? <laughs> And he's like, well, I didn't want to bring it up because uh, it's a pretty heavy story. Neelix doesn't want to talk about what happened. He just wants to ask people if he's a good man. (laughs) And Kess is like, I don't know. If you don't tell me about what happened to you during wartime, I can't make that determination. (laughs) I can't really. Also, where did you get this blue members only jacket? Yeah, it really clashes with your yellow and purple and teal uh, (laughs) chef outfit that you have under it. Like what's what's going on with that? So the HIPAA violation that was suggested earlier is not given by Jatrell. It's given by Captain Janeway, who enters the galley area and just... Gives Neelix the news in front of Kess. It's a tragic comic moment because he's like, I don't I don't care what the news is. There's no way it's worse than Jatrell is here. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's got this kind of like moral indignation and, and wants to be on his high horse about, great, like he should live with the fact that I'm going to die because of something he did. And Janeway kind of makes the case to him like, if he can find a cure, wouldn't you do that on behalf of other Talaxians that might 
be able to be saved because of his research. And uh, she admits he, she doesn't know where Dutrell is coming from. It's it's not clear whether this is like something he's doing out of the goodness of his own heart or as some kind of atonement or what. Peace of mind is a relative thing, Captain. There's some real dimensionality to this to this moment because it's not just a conflict connecting two points on a line. I mean, of course, he doesn't want to help the guy who made the weapon that killed so many of his people. Right. But also, like, what's the point of knowing if he's got this thing if there's no cure to it? Yeah. Like, there's the there's the patient psychology happening here, too. It's not just post-war psychology. Kess is like, hey, listen, like, the doctors in this quadrant have a different set of knowledge from the doctor on board this ship, and he may be able to bring some insight to this that Jatrell didn't even have. Neelix is like, I am not going to a Vidian doctor, Kess. You can <laughs> you can stop that suggestion right there. I'd rather be immersed in a pit of Kralinian eels than be examined by him. There is a McLaughlin group. Issue one. With the captain and Neelix and Jatrell. And this is another Kim Friedman directed episode. And I thought that this particular scene was really beautifully lit and composed and the camera movement is so good like yeah. there's this opening shot where the camera pushes in on Jatrell in the foreground but he's kind of facing away from the camera and Neelix is in the background getting softer and softer as the camera pushes in and then we get a rack focus where Neelix interrupts Jatrell and unfortunately why are you doing this to ask about what is motivating him to do this like why why does he care? If he is the butcher of Rhinax, why would he be spending his time tracking down individual victims of this disease to to study them? The scene is really intense. Like they they are they both feel like really aggrieved about what happened in the war. Jatrell clearly has a lot of like I, I think he like kind of refuses to characterize it as regret, but he is talking about the fact that he has to live with his conscience, live with the knowledge of what he did. And there is a lot of like, who who has the moral high ground sniping that the captain has to cut through to be like, hey, listen, we're here to talk about putting a weird blinky device on Neelix's chest, not about who was right and wrong in the war. There's something that is so necessary for an aggrieved person to feel in their oppressor. And that is regret. Regret yeah. of any kind being expressed for their actions. And this scene is an example of that. Neelix is looking for any possibility of that from Jatrell. And Jatrell is incapable of it in this moment. Or incapable of it to a satisfying extent. And it drives Neelix crazy. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. That he just can't understand. Like, it's so obvious. It's so obvious that Jatrell did something worth apologizing for, worth yeah. feeling bad about, and that he can't get there in the room with him just stokes Neelix's fire. In a very understandable way. I did what had to be done. And I think James Sloyan's performance also does a great job of making you feel like 
Jatrell does regret this, but has built a system of rationalizations inside his own mind to explain why it happened mm -hmm. and why he can still not judge himself to be a monster. Right. And the episode is in a lot of ways about that facade of rationalizations being chipped away at until it finally breaks. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. The scene sequence here does a lot of good work because the scenes before this moment, you're like, wow, Neelix really has an axe to grind against this guy. And it's obviously uh, an understandable axe. <laughs> but after this scene, you get to understand like Neelix is like on the scale for Neelix is his middle finger on one on one thing. And then on the other pad of the scale, it's like his ability to help his people. Right. And it's very hard to measure anything accurately with a middle finger on that scale. Yeah. Yeah. It is one of those kind of jump cuts to a decision though, right? Like mm -hmm. the, the scene kind of ends ambiguously. Like is Neelix going to wind up going with giving this guy data to help his people or is he going to go with middle finger? Right. <laughs> and we cut right down to six bay where Neelix is on the bio bed getting ready to get scanned. Just get it over with. I love it when this show responds to a question I ask in the moment with <laughs> the exact scene I wanted to see. And my yeah. question was, where the hell is the doc? Like yeah. the doc should be involved at this point, right? And then here's the six bay scene. And the doc explains, like, this is a, a very specialized piece of equipment that I don't have. They didn't issue me one when we left space dock. So uh, he's going to have to be the one to scan you. He's got a special red flashlight that he waves all over <laughs> Neelix's body. I've, I've never seen a cylinder and box combination quite like this. This is clearly <laughs> alien technology. <laughs> you see... This has gold metal and kind of multicolor blinking lights. If this was silver metal and like right. red, yellow, and blue blinking lights, then we might have a Federation piece of technology here. But there's like green, there's orange, there's all different kind of colors on this thing. Neelix has always been a talker, but you get the sense that that he's an especially nervous talker. And this is a scene that is emblematic of that. Yeah. But he's telling a story so thinly veiled <laughs> At Dr. Dutrell. Did I ever tell you about the notorious two-tailed Tauchocks of Rhinax? That I kind of feel like he should just, like, lose the veil and just start dunking on Dutrell directly <laughs> here. Like, why even keep up the facade? Oh, so, wait, you thought Neelix's story was a metaphor, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's how you communicate, isn't it? By, by citing example. By metaphor. Turns out Neelix is very passive-aggressive. In a way that I really enjoy. <laughs> He's got a Temerian amount of passive aggression. Yeah, really does. <laughs> the diagnosis comes in almost immediately, Ben, and he's yeah. positive for metremia. Incipient metremia, something my urologist recently diagnosed me with as well. I get to drink more water. Cranberry juice, maybe. Later we find Neelix in what I thought was his darkened quarters. But when we see a wider shot, it looks like the grow up of the ship. Is he at work or is he in his quarters here when Kess finds him? You know, Charles, this gear is getting heavier. I couldn't tell. I don't know if we've seen this room before, but yeah, he's definitely growing a lot of plants if this is his quarters, which I like. I like having a lot of plants around. Yeah. It's nice. It is. 
It's not quite a Saru grow up happening, no, but no. I mean, Saru, one of the greats in the game yeah. ever in terms of growing plants in his quarters. He really figured out that whole like lamp ventilation power supply system. Uh huh. Uh-huh. You got those strips of uh, of lawn paper that you see advertised on social media all the time. Yeah. And just glued it all over every surface in his room. Uh, for a long time i've thought of neelix like quark like not to be taken seriously Mm -hmm. but he starts telling war stories to Cass, and in this scene i kind of realized that he's the rickles of the show like in a war movie parlance i got you the scotch and the nylons you wanted he can be like that there's room for all kinds of warriors he is kind of readjusting his worldview because he sees the end of his life coming very soon. And he talks about that with Kess, like the idea that he fell in love with her and then later found out that she was like three years old or something. Yeah. (laughs) There's something very weird about the Kess character. Like, I know that I'm like projecting human maturity onto an alien being, but like it seems fucking weird that she's three. Now, no, I mean, talking- the show has done nothing to disabuse you of that weird feeling, though. And I think that's right. the problem. And what's going on here seems pretty pervy. The problem is that they didn't they didn't do enough to establish that she has like achieved adulthood for her species. I mean, she, she's obviously like a very mature character, much more mature emotionally than Neelix in many ways. Right. But like, th- this is a pretty heavy conversation. Cause he's saying like, I thought that we didn't have that much time together. And now I'm finding out that I'm going to die and we have even less time together. You know, I thought after my lungs were removed a couple episodes ago, that like that would have been a good opportunity to do the whole living will thing. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, the only attorney that we have aboard specializes in litigation and really just doesn't know that much about estate planning in general. In Captain Janeway's ready room, uh, Jatrell enters and boy, oh boy, that transporter, so interesting to him this moment in time. And he might have some ideas about how to use it in his experiment. I kind of thought that this was throwing the episode into another direction that Jatrell had used this fake disease as a pretext to get aboard so that he could steal the state secrets of how the transporter works. And I was like, you guys aren't being careful with what information he can access about your incredibly consequential technology that nobody in this quadrant has access to. Jatrell very early on was like, I was responding to a general hail from someone named Seska (laughs) who had some very interesting tech items to offer in trade. I was just here to see if I could do some of that with Seska. Is there a Seska on board? Seska? That name ring any bells? (laughs) It's interesting though, because like I think that the writers may have done that intentionally. Yeah. Because I'm suddenly suspicious of him, and then he starts describing how he wants to use it to cure the disease. Right. And I also, in this moment, was like, I'm pretty sure that this guy is going to be revealed to have this disease based on how thirsty he is. And I I do think that that slightly undercuts the extent to which we can think of him as having done this out of pure charity, you know. Was the moment you decided that, the moment when Jatrell walks out of the meeting and collapses in pain and that says it's nothing. 
No, I, I was like writing it down and I heard him go like, Ugh, and I like looked up at the screen and I was like, fuck. <laughs> so he pitches the idea that to Janeway, let's transporter scoop some of these particles out of the atmosphere of the planet I destroyed to run some experiments on them. And Janeway seems receptive to this. And so they head to the Talaxian system. It's really out of their way, according to Chakotay. Which kind of makes the case that the uh, Talaxians are kind of a diaspora, right? They're kind yeah. of spread across the the quadrant. It doesn't seem to be a significant enough detour that they can't do it, though. So they... I love that this is Chakotay's one fucking line in this episode. Yeah. Are Get they out like, of here, Chakotay. Are they backtracking, though? Or is it just like a... Are they like heading at a right angle to the direction that they want to be headed? I don't know. I mean, it seems like a cool thing. They could potentially save hundreds of thousands of lives. The writer who proposed just a line and a dot on the bottom of the screen for every episode of Star Trek Voyager was shouted down and fired. (laughs) It's a bad idea to see their progress. Yeah. Don't want to do that. (laughs) Well, it's like in a, you know, you're watching like a Netflix movie or something and you pause it to go to the bathroom and you're like, there's another fucking hour of this? What? Yeah. Yeah, that's not a good time. No. We come back from break and Jatrell is down in Six Bay doing some more scans on Neelix. And the EMH comes in and is like, hey, you guys need anything? And they're like, no, we're good. And he's like, cool. Well, I'm going to go shoot some pool or whatever and uh, shuts himself down. And this is another thing that really catches Jatrell's attention. He's like, wow quite a ship you guys have here anyways it's so fucked up that all you have to do is say the words and that's what happens to the emh that's bad i thought that the emh kind of had all of the agency over that but it seems like anybody can just like pranks stick their head in the in the six bay door and yell it you think data walked around jamming his fist into his hole (laughs) demonstrating how anyone could turn him off that's why he only showed showed Dr. Beverly where the hole was. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like the EMH should walk into his office and then whisper to himself. Well, I've got to get that platinum, get that robe enlargement. <laughs> a good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool 
And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I've got to get that Latin word now. Are you planning a heist? We get a pretty intense scene here where Neelix is like, hey, listen, if you knew this Metreon cascade technology was as dangerous as it was, like, why did you give it to your government? Why didn't you tell them not to use it the way they planned to use it when they were planning to drop it on a civilian population? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And he does that scientist justification of, like, all knowledge is good. And once we come up with it, it's up to the rest of you to, you know, decide what to do with it. And unfortunately for me... What they decided to do was drop it on your planet. I was amazed by this moment in terms of how it played with my expectations versus the reality of it. Yeah. Jatrell opens by making the case that he couldn't stop what was happening. Like as a scientist, he was lower in rank than anyone else in his government. So it's not like he had the power anyway. He wasn't but then in he, the chain of command, I guess. He pivots so almost instantaneously into it's fun to do bad things. Along the way, he ran over two mailboxes, <laughs> hit two parked cars in a Costco parking lot, and struck two moving cars near Walmart. Neelix's sarcasm energy as an opposing force to Jatrell's scientific nihilism yeah. that really makes for an interesting conflict in the moment. And he's also smug about it. Like He's like, you know, you're not the only one that lost things in the war for example when i 
dropped this horrible weapon of mass destruction on a planet. My wife left me with the kids. <laughs> he lo- he, could, he loses and- the consequence measuring contest with Neelix right here. <laughs> Divorce. It's the same as death to me. I actually know what it's like to commit genocide and lose your wife at the same time. No one in the universe knows what that's like. Detrail, one thing that I found very comforting after I uh, lost my wife was making a foam rubber facsimile of my wife. If you consider doing that instead of running around terrorizing people that you victimized 15 years ago. You're clearly a very accomplished scientist. (laughs) I imagine it wouldn't take very much. Maybe go to the holodeck on the very ship that you are right now. (laughs) Have them whip up a new wife and kids. Do you remember when you played Admiral Jarrock and you went to the holodeck (laughs) and saw the Valley of Chula for the last time? Think of it like that. <laughs> At the end of this scene, Ben, I want to know if you noticed this. Dretrell drops a tear out of the non-camera facing eye. And this is James Sloyan being the fucking boss. Yeah. Like so many actors would drop the tear out of the because he's sort of in like not quite profile. You can see see both eyes a little bit, but when he drops the 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 tear from the other eye yeah from the far eye we got the far eye in the house that's how i do major fucking props to james sloyan like anyone yeah. can do can do the eye closest to the camera like that's <laughs> that's just that's playing too much to the camera total pro he gets to a an incredibly deep place in this scene they both do like that like this is like you said an episode that really makes the case for the amazing range that Ethan Phillips has too. And what a privilege to see him go up against somebody with as much game as James Sloyan for moments like this. Chitrell does that thing that many shitty people do. They they've lost a fight. And then on the way out of the room, they're like, Oh yeah, I've got, uh, I've got Matremia also. So (laughs) you feel good about that? Yeah. (laughs) Neelix. Much like the ashes on the bodies of people burned by my weapon of mass destruction, I hope the ashes in your mouth taste <laughs> so good. Neelix is like, you still haven't won this fight. <laughs> Neelix, very upset, has a pool dream, playing playing pool against a, a cheating Dr. Jutrell, who just walks around the the table shooting shots, you know, without really taking his turn. He didn't even put his stack of quarters on the edge of the table to show he had next game. I know this is a, what did you call it before? A metaphor? Metaphor! Yeah. But I didn't really see how this sequence of Jutrell cheating at pool over and over again (laughs) against Neelix really like fit in within the greater (laughs) context of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then Chitrell does a bunch of like fun billiards tricks. Like he does the masse <laughs> and like a bunch of ball hopping and stuff. Like yeah, yeah. the episode really lingers into those tricks. Yeah. And then, and then Neelix like wakes up like it covered in a cold sweat in the middle of the night and 
pulls his laptop over to himself and tries to relax by just watching pool tricks clips on YouTube for a while. Yeah. He gets uh he gets radioed by the captain who explains that uh they are pulling up to Rhinax, Neelix's former homeworld and uh I I like this a lot. Like I think a like these memories like affecting his dreams and coming back to him and like almost haunting him could have felt so hokey and like paranormal in the wrong hands and they really don't it just feels like he is getting closer and closer to the thing he fears the most i'm going to take a little bit of the other side of that argument here because in an episode that is that's very writerly in an episode that is like such a strong ethan phillips performance case in the context of the episode i just didn't like neelix walking onto the bridge delivering his monologue, doing the loop around the bridge and then leaving and for for everyone to just kind of witness him. Yeah. I I kind of just wanted a little bit like I know why he's there. We just pulled up to the planet. Want to yeah. check it out? You haven't been here in ages. It feels like a scene just meant to exemplify what we already know about Ethan Phillips up to this point, which is he can do it. Yeah, I mean I wonder I mean I don't know I, Ethan Phillips is an actor I've seen in a few things, but I don't know how much they maybe put these scenes in to say, like, he'll get, like, a bunch of swings at it. Maybe if he, like, needs three scenes to get all the way there, like, he's got one at the beginning, one in the middle, and one toward the end or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, so Neelix takes off, and then Paris turns to the captain and is like, God, that guy's a real fucking bummer lately. <laughs> That's the morale officer? <laughs> Captain. Is there any wonder the food is even worse than it usually is? <laughs> Dr. Dutrell walks into engineering where BLT has set up another beam energy into the engineering section right next to the warp core experiment. And he says, I wanted a bigger location. And, uh, you know, like I'm a little bit worried about the containment field here and blt is like no like this is gonna go great we we got the exact right container size containment will not be a problem this is badly misplaced confidence literally nothing bad has happened here in a situation exactly like this in a container just like this one in three episodes (laughs) i love jatrell sauntering up to engineering and complaining about container size (laughs) <laughs> I loved that in the background of that shot, you could see the number of days since a containment <laughs> breach in a in a transporter problem. You know, back when we were experimenting with this super weapon, the one thing that we knew not to do was experiment anywhere near a warp core. <laughs> Yet another reason I'm very impressed with this ship. Yeah. They fill this canister with gas from the atmosphere and uh, Kess walks down to the mess hall, which is empty. And therein she finds Neelix kind of like bumming out by himself under the bar. And uh, he's taken off his comm badge. And this is a much less lethal comm badge takeoff than what happens when Worf takes off his comm badge. Yeah. I mean, Neelix has quit Starfleet. Uh-huh. 
to go murder a Klingon somewhere else. <laughs> he has a big admission here for Kess. Uh, all that shit he talked about being in the Talaxian Defense Forces, the fact that he was on Talax when Rhinax was destroyed because he was getting ready to, you know, go attack the Hakonians. All bullshit. He was, in fact, a draft dodger. The real reason I didn't report was because I was a coward. He felt that the war was uh, being fought on fake justifications. He thought it was a uh, use of violence to settle a problem that shouldn't be used, shouldn't be uh, settled with violence. It's interesting because like the... Hey, Ben? Yeah. You mind if I take a run at this one? Sure. <laughs> I'm doing a bad job. Neelix's war stories were lies. <laughs> the truth is he was scared and he hid and he never reported for duty like you told Kess before given his interests he was a culinary objector <laughs> man I didn't realize you brought your hype crew to, uh, to do that one joke here on the show today really hit the ramp on that one that Got full full explosion off of the pommel. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> Kess has an interesting take here, right? So she absorbs all well, this. What I was going to say is in all the descriptions of this war up until now, we've really only heard it from Neelix's side. Like mm -hmm. we haven't even heard Dutrell describe <laughs> why the war started. And We do need to both sides this war here. I'm not saying we do, but like Neelix has been talking about it the way a Bajoran talks about the Cardassian occupation, which is right. we just got invaded mm -hmm. and they just were taking over our shit. And yeah. when Neelix says he was like not into even fighting it, it makes it seem like there may have been more to it than just that. And whenever one side of a conflict drops a super weapon onto the other side, they obviously have a great reason for it. Well, yeah, and like I think that it's interesting that the episode is like not focused on getting into that at all. Like yeah. it's not about what the geopolitical <laughs> situation was that started the war. It's about what Neelix is going through given his subjective <laughs> experience of it. It would have been so awful if in the beginning like Neelix Neelix tells Captain Janeway about like Jatrell's people doing what they did to his people yeah. and not and like Neelix doesn't know why. And everyone on the bridge crew kind of understands why <laughs> someone would drop a bomb on the on the Talaxian homeworld. Like, I mean, have you met a Talaxian, Neelix? Like, we've only met you... two, and we kind of want to do it. <laughs> We're kind of done with the one Talaxian we've got. Can you imagine a planet full of these fucking guys? <laughs> I'm kind of thinking at this point, Jatrell should be celebrated for the favor he did. <laughs> But, like, think about how many, like, terrible sci-fi movies have started with, like, the war began when blah, blah, blah invaded blah, blah, blah. That was the beginning of the end for my people. Right. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Like, I thought that was nicely done. And, and a very interesting, like, Kess just has to take Neelix's word for it. And he's like, well, when you were taking my word for it before that I was a war hero, after you took my word for it before that I had never been in a war, now you're going to have to take my word for it that I feel bad about telling you that because it's not true. And this is like as great of a performance as Ethan Phillips gives here. Jennifer Lean as Kess has to go back and forth and back and forth on what may be the lie and what be the, may be the truth. 
there's an equality to the idea that Neelix could have been killed for being a culinary objector or he could have been killed in the war. Like both yeah. outcomes were just as viable in that and moment. And just as dangerous to him. And yeah. She is saying like, you were following your truth at the time and there is a bravery in that. You know what's interesting is like Kest, we joke about Kest not knowing whether to believe Neelix or not in this moment or to believe him about, about anything regarding his service or non-service in this war. Yeah. But one thing that no one is questioning is Jatrell and his story. And Kess in this scene is so willing to get Jatrell off the hook. Hmm. Her, pos- her position is like, forgive him to free yourself of these dark feelings. And in this moment in the episode, I was like, fuck no. Don't well, forgive. But I think she's coming at it from a standpoint of Neelix feels like there's some culpability that he bears because he wasn't like suiting up and sharpening his Rambo knife, getting ready to take the fight to the Hakonians. Yeah. Like if he had been a combatant, then maybe some, you know, something. Yeah, but that's also imbued with a, you know, you'll never, like the fire you set for your enemy is only going to consume you. Like that, right. there's like this conversation is very pregnant with that kind of philosophizing as well. <laughs> yeah. Kess has recently read The Art of War. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. So in Six Page, Jatrell is working with this dank purple smoke they got out of the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. pretty righteous. Yeah. He's blowing clouds. He's uh, scanning. He is working with the EMH and kind of summarily shuts the EMH off, as we mentioned before. It's just that easy. It's just that easy. And he starts doing uh, this experiment and... What starts to happen in the cloud of smoke is a biomass starts to appear inside the canister. It, it's like a like a tentacle coming off of a puddle of goo. Looks kind of semi Odo like if Odo is like a little bit sick. This scene was difficult for me to get because when Neelix surprises Jatrell in this scene and he sees what's in the container, he reacts with horror like this isn't Star Trek. Right. Like whatever's in the container couldn't be something good or bad or indifferent or anything. He looks at it and he recognizes it as something monstrous. Yeah. And that's that's where I disconnected with his performance. I was like, how do you know that? What, what do you recognize in that thing? The... Him saying like, are, are you doing a bizarre experiment in here is like yeah. low-key the funniest line in the episode because it's like, uh, you mean the, the mad scientist that you guys brought on board? Yes, he is. The mad scientist that we left in Six Bay with no one but the hollow to keep an eye on? <laughs> yeah. So he drops Neelix with a uh, tranquilizer and uh, up on the bridge, Janeway wants to check in with the progress going down in the six bay. And when she radios down there, nobody answers. And so she has to activate Doc Holloday, who reports that uh, Jatrell has left six bay. Neelix is down and out. He says he seems to have been tranquilized without really any evidence to, <laughs> to support that theory. 
Hey, also, wonder- uh, Jatrell, use a stronger tranquilizer. <laughs> I wonder, does the EMH have sensors? Like, are there sensors like built into the room where like he wouldn't need a tricorder necessarily because it's just there's sensors built into the hollow matrix that he inhabits? That's like, interesting. When he like looks if, at Neelix, does he know he's been tranquilized because he can see inside his body? Sort of like rest mode for a game system. Like, does it <laughs> is it constantly updating? Yeah. What's going on while it's sleeping? Right. I don't know. I want to know more about this. Yeah. In the context of the show, Doc Holliday seems fairly instantaneously informed about what's happened in his absence and he relays that to the captain and then everyone rallies to the transporter room where the computer has told them Jatrell is and he is not doing a great job getting the transporter working he uh doesn't really know his way around it you're beginning to lose credibility and he explains to them like listen i'm actually trying to bring back all of the victims of the metreon cascade this is something i'm doing to to cleanse myself of the crime that I committed, basically. But he's got his like his scientific papers there and he shows them to the captain and he's explaining that like basically his theory is that they can use the transporter to like find all of the genetic information from the people that were vaporized and like reconstitute them on the transporter pad. Jitrell's like, you know how when you sneeze, all the mist goes into the air? And turns into an aerosol. And you know how when you sneeze into a tissue, all those mist particles are together? And you know if you pick up an old tissue out of a waste paper basket, like like all those particles will turn hard? Well, I'm going to take that person mist and I'm going to turn it into this hard tissue mass. We're going to see if we can make some people again. Are you ready? And Janeway is disgusted by this metaphor. This is a metaphor, Ben. Metaphor! And this is the worst one. Yeah. Worst one so far in the episode. Yeah. He's trying to become an unkiller. And they're like, this is kind of far-fetched, dude. We don't really believe you. Do you know how many transporter accidents have happened in Star Trek? Do you have any idea how many people we would have to reconstitute if this were to work? Yeah. You're just making more work for us to trail. It is, but they're like, well, you know, if it does work, it's kind of amazing. And we're here. Like, why don't we give it a try? I was very curious about why Captain Janeway, as a scientist, first and foremost, was so willing to dismiss this idea out of hand initially. They really needed to convince her to give this a try in a way that surprised me. Well, Tuvok and Janeway both think it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I think that that's the thing. Like, Jatrell is trying to make the case that like you're the victims of your own scientific dogma and this is like new research that will change the way you think about this stuff. How can you teach such drivel? These people are here to learn and you're closing their minds before they even have a chance. And that's like how they get over the hump. But yeah, like Jatrell feels terrible because he's been trying to kind of undo the harm of this thing that he did for 15 years and like his government won't give him funding. Nobody believes him. He gets laughed out of the scientific conferences and they're like, well, okay, we're going to try this. And so Janeway and Tuvok actually wind up doing the operation on the transporter computer while Jatrell just kind of is a spectator with Neelix and they watch as a Talaxian body starts to materialize on the transporter and it's like 
it's there for a second and then they're like upping the coherence buffer or whatever they're upping it and they're like past you know 120 percent over tolerances and they have to cancel the experiment shut it down mr tuvok and just buckets of gore splatter all over the transporter pad it's like they borrowed the set from alien resurrection (laughs) it is monstrous semi-humanoid figures suspended in liquid that then just break yeah on the transporter pad and like hair so much hair like more hair hair than you'd ever imagine yeah and it's because the transporter pad is like a couple of steps up it's like coursing off of it and into the room yeah and like splashing up on the wall on the other side it knocks jatrell over he gets some in his mouth (laughs) he's like oh oh this was not worth it oh <laughs> My life's work is so gross. <laughs> it's so much grosser than it was on paper. <laughs> I mean, you think you can pre- you can prepare for oh, this? No. The simulations were not this gross. <laughs> uh. So, and then uh, as he's as he's spitting it out, he's like, oh, Neelix. <laughs> I got a hair in the back of my throat. I hate that. <laughs> you actually don't have metremia also. Just while we're all like gathering ourselves and like yeah. wringing out our clothing. <laughs> the Tuvok and Janeway like start slapping Neelix on the back. They're like, hey, attaboy. Yeah. Jatrell collapses not because of the wave of gore that hits him. Uh, The Matremia got him. It's finally taken him to the ground. And uh, in Six Bay, we get our button on the episode. Neelix visits his bedside and forgives him. Yeah. What do you think of that? It's an interesting scene because I don't know if I totally believe that it's a sincere forgiveness for Neelix, but one that maybe he isn't ready to do, but he knows that this is the last opportunity he'll ever have to do it and doesn't want to regret not having done it. The sincerity of forgiveness is dependent on who it's for. If Neelix yeah. is forgiving Jatrell for Jatrell's benefit then I think you can deem it sincere. But if Neelix is in there because of what Kess said in an earlier scene about like freeing himself from the shackle mm-hmm. that he's put himself in, then then it's not. I think you can read the way Neelix plays this last scene in a lot of different ways. And I think it's a really interesting scene. And I think that maybe the most interesting way to read it is that it is genuine sincerity when he forgives this guy and he has gone on that journey. And like, that's like one of the most beautiful things human beings do for each other is forgive each other our trespasses. Why the very name is racist. But I I think it's ambiguous and I think it's intentionally ambiguous. And I think that what you read into it is for you as a viewer to, to process. I think it's so ambiguous that you could have done without the scene. I think you could have had 
to trail in the bio bed alone in six bay and you could have neelix outside the door wondering whether or not he should go in and maybe he just keeps walking Hmm. i think that does the same thing and it darkens the end in a way that i would prefer like if you're going to be ambiguous go ambiguous dark yeah i don't know did you like the episode adam of course it's locked in do it listen to me now I have a hard time with the end of this episode. I did like the episode as a whole. If you were to just weigh it, like most of the episode, good. Yeah. Adam's Adam's fuck me, no fuck you lifestyle makes it very hard for him to process it when a character <laughs> seems well, to be apologizing. <laughs> I was thinking a lot about how you were describing that conflict that as you did. And I was like, yeah, uh, an apology is not a resolution, but it's at least a starting point. Right. And what's interesting about the the button between Neelix and Jatrell isn't just the ambiguity of it, but it's like Jatrell wasn't there to get forgiven. He never expressed the desire for it. Yeah, he in fact said that he wasn't going to ask for it. And Does that not answer the question, though, of who the forgiveness is for? It's for Neelix, then. Yeah. Well, it's like... Uh... It's like Dan Savage says, closure is not something anyone else can give you. It's something you give yourself. Yeah. And maybe that's what Neelix is doing is he's giving himself closure. I love this episode for Ethan Phillips. This is like a big comparison, but this is like Robin Williams being Jacob the Liar. Like this is this is like Ethan Phillips being Neelix in this episode. Like, wow. Like I was totally struck by it in a way that that is great. Yeah. He, he took over an episode in the first season that I only wish had happened earlier. So that's how I feel about the episode. What about you? I, I think that you put it really well. I, I love the episode for Ethan Phillips. It makes the character someone I look forward to seeing so much more with because up until now, I could really see like an argument be to be made for let's write this guy off the show. I'm like, really looking adding? forward to subsequent episodes where Chakotay renounces his Native American heritage as being a fabrication. <laughs> like Kess gets to him too. Yeah. And he admits to Kess that yeah. like that he's been lying about it the whole time. He's like, it's not really my religion. It's a religion that was made up by the, this is going to be hard for you to understand, but there are producers <laughs> on this show who didn't do a lot of vetting when they hired the consultant. If you just look over there, there's a camera there. I know you can't see it. There's actually a camera (laughs) over there too. Yeah. You know how like we've said these words to each other a few times and we might do it a few more times and then like go to the crafty table? That's because we're on a show. (laughs) Yeah. They're just getting coverage of this conversation. I mean, that there was this moment for Neelix gives me hope for Chakotay, but I've got a suspicion (laughs) that uh, that is misplaced. Well, Adam, do you want to see if we find any misplaced P1s in the inbox? Oh, those are always in the right spot. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a few P1s here. And the first one is of a promotional nature. Goes like this. Hey, fellow friends of DeSoto, come join Jeremy, Andre, Kevin, and Steven, four friends in the four corners of North America. 
as we talk gaming, music, life, and any nerdy subject that comes to mind with much cursing. Jeremy is the host in Florida that collects and streams games over the generations. Andre in Nevada talks music and retro games. Steven in New York talks snacks and his love of the Switch. And Kevin in Canada is a fellow collector, and he's Canadian. Give us a listen and chat with us on Twitter. And the call to action here is check out Zen's Path 4-Button Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. That's the Zen's Path, Z-E-N-S-P-A-T-H, the number four, the word button. <laughs> Zen's Path 4-Button Podcast. Four buttons, four corners of North America. Yeah, oh, I get it. I get it. I'm picking up what they're putting down. Everyone's got their specialty. They're like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. (laughs) They're like the the Voltron. I think that uh, uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles might be a more apt comparison because there's four of them. Yeah, but no one wants to be Don. I I would never want to call Kevin Don. Yeah, that's that's a real dunk on Kevin. Yeah. And also, like, is there a splinter? If that's the case, we don't know. We'll have to let them kind of resolve that on the Zen's Path 4-Button podcast. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, give it a listen. Our next Priority One message is from Dan and Starfleet Academy City. It's to Ben and Adam, and the message goes like this. Started listening from the beginning on August 15th, 2019. Remember 2019? (laughs) Wow. On November 16th, 2020, I finally caught up with DS9 Season 7, Episode 14, Tentacle Man. (laughs) I listened to the whole Trumpian horror unfold on your show in one year. Wow. I don't know how many lights there are anymore. (laughs) Bring on the Janeway. Wow. So this was submitted November 16th, 2020. Here we are. Kind of a lot has changed since that day. Uh... The request here is that I mispronounce every word. Uh, well, well, Dan, <laughs> couldn't quite do that justice. <laughs> I wanted this message to be understandable. Yeah. I wanted people to get what you were saying. Uh, you've really been through it. An entire year. Greatest gen. Yeah. That's like, uh, that's like spending a year hanging out next to the reactor in Chernobyl, I feel like. <laughs> really do a lot of harm to your cellular cohesion yeah and Dan, uh, Dan's definitely got side effects from yeah. that experience but thank you for listening Dan and thanks for getting a P1 yeah uh, we have a and final thanks for P1. waiting around for it to be read yeah we have a final P1 here it is from Jim and it's to Arden it goes like this it's so great to share this the greatest generation with you every week I can't believe we're on to Voyager now it's Halloween when I am Is there really coffee in that nebula? Here's to hoping you finally recover that script you wrote for Voyager during your tween years. Check every floppy. Oh, and happy birthday to the both of us. Love, Jim. Jim and Arden, birthday twins. We should should mount a a table read of Arden's tween-age Voyager script. I wrote a script for TNG in my tween years. Really? It involved a shuttlecraft being used as a car bomb. (laughs) Wow. Check every floppy, Adam. I want to read that shit. Check every floppy. Yeah. 
Well, floppies are not how we get priority one messages. They come from our podcast network, and you can send them to us by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I mean, who's the chaos agent this episode? It's Jatrell. Yeah. What's his dark secret? (laughs) What's he trying to accomplish? Is he trying to steal transporter technology or not? He always keeps you guessing until the moment you don't need to guess anymore. Yeah. You know his dark secret. And uh, I don't know, is this the last Sloyan episode we're going to get in Star Trek? It looks like it might be. Wow. Well, James Sloyan, we we stan you. 81 years young at the time of this recording. Amazing. Just outstanding work. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad we got to celebrate it here. So, James Sloyan, my drunk Shimoda. Yeah, I'm going to join you on the Sloyan Square for the drunk Shimodas uh, on this episode. Nobody nobody pulls more isolinear chips out of uh, Neelix's life than uh, Dr. Dutrell. They are just in a big pile on the floor by the end of this thing. Yeah. All right, Adam. It's time to decide what we are watching next and how. I guess we don't decide what we're watching next. That's never an unknown. It's season one, episode 15, Learning Curve. Tuvok incurs the wrath of the Maquis crew members when he's put in charge of a boot camp designed to bring them up to Starfleet standards. (laughs) It's like an episode of Maury. Jesus. Boot camps were such a thing in the 90s. What the hell? If Seska were still on the show, she'd be like, cash me outside. <laughs> well, that's exciting. Yeah. I'm uh, heading to gach.biz slash game, where the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker can be found. And our runabout is currently on square five. We've got that uh, that caretaker square out ahead of us on square 10. We could hit that. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone. What do you say? Oh, no. This is uh, the caretaker sends the runabout to a random square on the board. If you hit that. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Rolling away. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. I rolled a three, so we are on square eight. My oh, friend. fun. You you make it my problem I that make we get your closer problem. to the caretaker. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Adam, that's, uh, that's going to do it for us today. Next week's episode will be the regular style of episode that we've come to know and love on yeah. The Greatest Generation. Thanks again to everyone that contributed during the Max Fun Drive. We just could not appreciate it more. Uh, we are recording this on the first day of the Max Fun Drive, so we're... Uh, we don't have any final numbers for you uh, here, but uh, it was, I'm sure, a great one. Yeah, I mean, as much of a mystery as the drive might be to us at the time of this recording, I think it is always really heartening and inspiring and gratitude-inducing to see how much of an effect this show has on people, how many people like the show enough to support it and all of those things it's 
Like at the end of every show, we ask for support of the show and then leave it at that. And then the max fun drive is just a time to like really push that front and center. But um, it is a yearly reminder, I think, for everyone, not just the viewer, but for Ben and I as well, that this show is... I mean, this show is dick and fart jokes and, and us being dumb. <laughs> but it's more than that, too. And yeah. that is, it's a really great thing to be reminded of that during the drive. So thanks to everyone for supporting our shows. Yeah, we hugely, hugely appreciate it. Um, we also appreciate the hard work of the card daddy, Bill Tilly, who runs our social media accounts at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter. Follow those for updates about uh, the shows and our Twitch streams uh, at twitch.tv slash greatest track and Bill's uh, hilarious baseball cards that he makes about every episode of the show. Uh, very, very fun follows if you are a social media user to follow at Greatest Trek. Uh, and if you want to, like, join a community, there are so many great communities of Friends of DeSoto all over the internet. Reddit, Facebook, DrunkShimoto.com, Discord group, etc. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Discord group is, I think, a big, big reason we do the Twitch stream every week now. True. A reliable source of fun and games for you and me. Yeah. It's good uh, stuff. We got to thank the great Adam Ragusea, who makes the original music for the program. He also, of course, was inspired by Dark Materia, who made the Picard song, which you are hearing under our voices right now. Adam Ragusea has gone on to be more than just a Star Trek podcast music maker. He also has a you don't great say. Cook, cooking channel on YouTube, so check out Adam Ragusea on YouTube. We're grateful to have him as a good friend of DeSoto. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager where Adam and I are being given the tough love that we need to shape up. Make it so. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.